Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to our Sunday service uh, at Ananda Village in the Yogananda Amphitheater. And we'd especially like to greet all our online viewers, uh, which I'm sure are probably 10 times as many as us gathered here today on this beautiful war uh, warm summer uh, day. It's not hot yet. Uh, my name is Nayaswami Bharat, and this is uh, also Anand, uh, Nayaswami Anandi. And I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda, Teachings of the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. It's on the inner kingdom. <clears throat> Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Most people imagine that the inner kingdom, as Jesus described it, lacks a fascination they attribute to sense life, the bright lights, the diverse attractions, the joys and the laughter. Little do they realize what a vast universe exists in their own selves. There are many passages in the Old and New Testaments of the Bible that describe aspects of this inner kingdom. The book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis we read, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge and of good evil, of good and evil. This garden was in no earthly place. It exists even now in the very self of every human being. The, leg the legend of Adam and Eve is allegorical. It describes how the first human beings dissipated their spiritual energy centered in the spine. The spine is the channel through which life, uh, through which flows the uh, river of baptism and of, and, and of spiritual life. The Bhagavad Gita tells us the wise speak of the eternal Ashvanta tree with its roots above and its branches below. The tree of life spoken also in Genesis is the spine its roots are above in the brain's energy. Its branches are the outward spreading nervous system. When the sap, which is to say the energy, flows downward, the consciousness is drawn into delusion. On the other hand, when the energy is drawn upward in deep meditation, the consciousness is drawn towards its eternal source, God, and is at last united with him. Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita therefore urges his chief disciple, Arjuna, to embrace the yoga science, the path of meditation. The yogi, he says, is greater than the ascetic, greater even than the followers of the path of wisdom, jnana yoga, or, or of action, karma yoga. Be thou, Arjuna, a yogi. For those who would find the divine truth Krishna gives this description of the yogi. Steadfast a lamp burns, sheltered from the wind, steadfastly meditating, solitary, such is the likeness of the yogi's mind, shut from scent storms and burning bright to heaven. Whoever you are, whatever your outward beliefs and observances, seek God in the silence of your soul. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, 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 oh.
everyone. I'd like to welcome you also. And um, though Bart especially welcomed those online, I'd like to especially say how lovely it is to see some faces here in the amphitheater. It's, thank you for coming. It's wonderful to have you here and to be here with you. I'll begin with reading from Whispers from Eternity. As you know, Yogananda's book of prayer demands This demand is called Demand for Opening the Spiritual Eye to Find God in Everything. And what it says about this demand at the bottom, it says this demand especially should be repeated mentally with deep concentration until the prayer thought becomes fixed in your superconscious by the conviction born of deep faith. My eyes are enthralled, O oh Father, with the beauty of earthly flowers, with life's passing scenes, and with the sailing silent clouds. Everywhere, all I see hints at thy hidden presence. Open that eye in me, which sees only thee. With that gaze, may I behold thee above, beneath, all around, within and outside me. Teach me in all things to see only thee. Open in me that eye which beholds everywhere thy hidden but ever subtly reigning wonder. Well, this morning's reading on the inner kingdom, Swami at the beginning makes it sound like we kind of have to convince people that the inner kingdom is a good thing. But of course, with those of us here and those of us online, it's something we're already wholly committed to, this inner life, which as he talks about in Whispers from Eternity, this is what makes our outer life so beautiful. It's because we connect with who we really are that we begin to feel a connection and a beauty in life all around us. Um, it's a sort of a paradox, isn't it? To think that the deeper you go in, the bigger you become. The more you go inside, the more you leave behind the limiting confines of the physical body the limiting confines of your upbringing, your nationality, all that you uh, have adopted from the world around you is making us small and separate. And as we go inward and feel our connection with God, we actually expand and see God everywhere and feel God everywhere. In uh, 1987, I had a beautiful experience of this with Swami Kriyananda. I was in St. Louis, um, and I had something very important to decide, and I really wanted to know what Yogananda wanted me to do, what my guru wanted me to do. And so I prayed quite a bit, and I got what I felt was really the right guidance. 
but it caused some problems for other people. And so I wrote Swami and I explained my whole situation. He was at Ananda Village and I was writing on a pen and paper because it was 1987. And... Um, I explained what I'd been doing in meditation and the answer I'd gotten, and I asked him, well, what did he think? And how it had caused problems for others, but what did he think? Well, the next morning, my, my envelope was in the mail. It was at the San, uh, St. Louis airport, probably, getting ready to fly to California. And the next morning, that morning, I woke up and I felt filled with divine joy bliss, actually, and it felt specifically like Swami Kriyananda. And it was such a beautiful example of the fact that he didn't need to read my letter to know that I was reaching out to him. He, he felt it. He was, he was expanded because he was living in the inner self. And that's where we want to go. That's where the fun is. And um, it doesn't. It isn't bright lights, but it's it's a sense of connectedness and joy in everything that we do. Miriam uh, Rogers was Swami Kriyananda's nurse the last years of his life, and she wrote a story. Uh, she wrote a book about her years with Swami Kriyananda during that time, and you can imagine that it was special because of that relationship of her being his nurse. And she described that in. 2006 or 2007, he came down with a disease called Meniere's, which is a very unusual disease that affects the inner ear. And with this disease, there's intense nausea, there's exhaustion, there's um, uh, dizziness. But what it does above all is it messes up the brain's connection with the body. So you don't really realize it, but when you stand up from the chair that you're sitting on, your brain has already said to your legs, go into gear, we're going to stand up. And so your legs get prepared and they stand you up. Well, with this many errors, that doesn't happen. And the, it, the disease is exacerbated by riding in a car. So the night before his birthday, Swami Kriyananda gave a talk uh, the, uh, dedicating the essence of the Bhagavad Gita to I don't know, huge crowd in Rome. And then the next day, he got in a car to drive to Assisi to celebrate his birthday with all the community in Assisi. So he'd had, by the time you start your day, you pack, you get in the car, you drive to Assisi, you land there for your birthday. It had been quite a big deal for him involving, you know, being sick and so forth. But it was his birthday, so he sat at the table, and the dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, friends came up to greet him. And of course, he greeted everyone graciously. But at a certain point, he actually, he, his body didn't really know how to sit up. So, I mean, he was having trouble even holding his head up to, to greet people. And at a certain point, he said he had to leave, and Jyotish was there, Sri Kartikeyan was there, and they each took one of his elbows, and they were basically holding all the weight of his body as they walked him to the car. And Miriam said it was the saddest thing she'd ever seen. His head was on his chest. His feet were behind his body. He wasn't, he, he wasn't like upright because he of this mess up in his, in his brain. And so he was sort of being 
sort of dragged with the head down and so forth to the car and terrible and pitiful and horrible. And then, of course, the, all the people from the, from the birthday were out watching him to bless him going to the car. And then just before he got into the car, he turned and looked at the crowd and he had this blissful smile on his face. His eyes had that amazing sparkle of bliss that uh, we saw in his eyes sometimes. And she realized, and everyone realized, she said everyone began to weep because they thought, he's not his body. What looks so bad on the outside is not what's happening on the inside. He was able to live so completely in that inner place that all the various things that happened couldn't touch that bliss. So that's where we're trying to go, all of us. And we make little inroads. And um, I wanted to talk today about three of the main things that we know, but just to maybe pick them up and look at them again, of how we go into that inner kingdom, how to make that perpetual and not just uh, temporary. But the key thing, one of the key things, all three of them are the key things, so you can't say one's more important than the other, but we have to look first at the techniques that Master brought to the West that I don't know about you, but in my life, the more I practice them and the more I share them with other people, the more amazed I am about what they do. Because he gave us specific techniques so that we change our identification from the body to the spine. So with the energization exercises, all we're doing is tensing the muscles, but we're focusing on this energy. And as we do it, we're more and more feeling ourselves as energy. Less and less feeling ourselves as a sort of a lump of bones and flesh, but identifying with that energy. And then he gives us Hong Sa, watching the breath. And as we watch the breath, of course, we all are very into controlling things, aren't we? We think we're so in control, but when we watch the breath with Hong Sa, we're not controlling. We're stepping back from controlling. And so we are touching a place that has nothing to do with the physical body. In every case, what's so um, fascinating about what Master brings is he starts with our experience of life, which is the body. So he starts with the body, let's tense the muscles in the body, now let's go beyond the body. Let's start by watching the breath, but in the process of watching the breath, we're going to start to feel something that is inner, that is not the breath, that is our connection with our inner self. And as we begin to watch the breath, and as we do the Kriya Yoga also, we start to discover that life is not at all what we think it is. Um, most of the world goes through life experiencing what happens to them. Oh, that was something good. Oh, that person smiled at me. Oh, I feel happy. Oh, that was bad news I got. Oh, I feel sad. And what we discover, and this is no small thing, and we should get be very, very grateful for it, is we discover that that's not what's happening at all. Something good happens to us, a, a 
a happy message from a friend, and the energy rises in our spine. And we think, oh, that feels good. I like it. Something bad happens so that we think is bad, and who knows? What one of us thinks is good and one of us thinks is bad, they could be different things. But when something happens to me that I think is bad, the energy sinks in my spine and I go, oh, that was bad. So it wasn't the event. It was what was going on in my spine. And the more that I watch the breath, the more that I practice Kriya Yoga, not I, but we, um, we realize, wait a minute, I, I can control what's going on up and down. I can choose to direct my energy upward to respond to life with a, with a joyful energy. So we do these techniques to the best of our ability. And I know very few people that feel like they're great at the techniques. <laughs> I think all of us, the, the song that we sang um, uh, before meditation, without meditation, mind, hither, thither, wanderest thou. Well, that also describes my meditation, hither, thither, wanderest thou. But the more that we do it, we feel more and more the connection that guides us forward in a purposeful way. But we feel like, oh, where are the, where's the spiritual eye? Where's the om sound and so forth? And we have to realize, Swami said something very powerful to me. He said, we cannot command the superconscious. We can't say, okay, here I am now, light, sound. Uh, it doesn't happen that way. But by being there, we're, of course, practicing. We're getting better. But we're also demonstrating to God our sincerity. We're demonstrating to ourselves, and we're demonstrating to our guru that we're serious about this. I heard something about a friend of mine who I consider a great soul, a saintly soul, actually. And I heard that her experience of meditation was such that she never felt anything from it. She just devotedly did it twice a day, but never felt a sort of blessing from it. And I don't know how she felt about it, but I know how I felt about it. I felt humbled to hear that. I felt profoundly inspired by what she was doing, which was giving and not receiving. In um, the Catholic religion, they have a, fra uh, a word called consolation. And what they mean by consolation is what we would call a good meditation. So in meditation, you feel a lot of divine peace, or maybe you see a light, or maybe you, 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 you feel uplifted in joy. Well, the Catholics would call that consolation. In other words, God is kind of patting you on the back and saying, that's good. I know you could use a little bit of a boost right now, and here it is. And then the rest of the time, we're giving. We're giving to God, and we're purifying our heart, and we're purifying our lives to go deeper into that place. We're making ourselves ready to have the spirit that God has spirit of unconditional giving. Well, that leads to the next most important thing that we can work on, and that is positive thinking at all times. 
keeping our minds directed in a positive, no matter what those meditations are like, keeping your mind directed in a positive direction. And this is amazingly important. Um, We learn that God is inside of us at this moment. God lives in our spiritual eye, not just God, but God realization. We know God right now when we're holy in our spiritual eye, when we're in our top of our head. That magnet of connection with God is in us all the time. It's only up to us to get in the flow of that magnet. The magnet will draw us to God realization if we can get in the flow. And what makes it so hard is that there's also a magnetic pull at the base of the spine that says, I am not one with God. I am separate. And in fact, I like being separate. And in fact, in fact, I'm committed to being separate. And that is the force of Maya delusion. It lives in us all the time and it's always operating. So for us, it's we have to do what we can do to stay connected to the positive flow. If you happen to watch uh, the Warriors of Light prayers this past, the week before this, um, our friends Arudra and Mahia gave the uh, prayers. And Mahia told a story that many of us saw in Swami Kriyananda's life in more than one type of situation. But in this specific situation, Um, there was a a challenge that happened, and many of us here can sort of guess what it was. And each time it happened, Swami would say, well, this time there's going to become harmony. Uh, What I've just done is going to create harmony with these other people, and everything's going to be fine. But then it didn't. But then something else would come around, and then he would say, I think this article or this thing I'm doing, I think this is really going to create harmony. And each time, it wouldn't. And each time, he would come back and say, well, this one will. And one of our friends watched this a lot of times. And she said, Swami, um, you always say that this is going to create harmony, and it never does. Why do you not get the fact that this is not going to work? And Swami's not a naive person by any stretch of the imagination. And his response was powerful. He said, I cannot afford to think that way. I cannot afford to think that way. On the one hand, it was realistic. On the other hand, it was factual. On the other hand, it was the force of negativity. And the reason that Ananda exists is because, honestly, because of Swami's total positive connection with the presence of God within him. I think without that, with all the various things that happened, with all the various um, uh, melange of people that arrived here in the early days, didn't look too hopeful, perhaps, with the money problems, with the fire, with the this, with the that, what was holding it? It was a commitment to positivity. And so for us, we have to know in ourselves, in our own lives, 
that every single thought we think has a magnetism. If we think a positive thought, it's going to magnetize us up. If we think a negative thought, it's going to magnetize us toward delusion. And, and we tend to be a little bit um, too interested in the facts, <laughs> too interested in the, um, the little details and, and wanting to be honest and wanting to be, you know, uh, real. And really what we need to do is say, you know what, no matter what, I can keep directing my energy up. I can keep directing my energy toward positivity. I don't have to, I don't have to come up with thoughts necessarily, although positive thinking can help, definitely. But sometimes it's just a matter of saying, okay, wherever I am now, I'm going to try and direct my energy from here up. Even if it's, even if it's this much up, it's up. Because if it's up, it's not going down. And if it's not directed up, gravity is going to pull it down. So this holding on to this positive thought. I had a really wonderful experience of this a couple of weeks ago. Um, someone asked me to do something, and I thought, you know what? I just can't. I just can't do it. Right now, there's too much other things pulling on my mind, too many. In order to do this, I have to really focus. I just can't do it. And um, so I actually wrote, and I said, you know, I, I really you know, think you should do it. I can't do it. And um, then I was getting ready to go to bed that night, and I just sat in the chair for a while with Master, and I thought, you know, I asked you for freedom in this lifetime, and you just sent me an invitation, and I refused it. I rescind. I take back my refusal. I, I am willing and I'm going to put my mind into that willing place. And I went to sleep, and I just said, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I'm willing. And so I woke up. What was so sweet was that I woke up, and the whole answers were all in my head. They were all just like there. And so the whole project was done in an hour. And I felt like, of course, I didn't do it. Of course, I didn't do it. But I was willing to open the door for Master. And that's what I've been trying to use as a phrase lately. Open the door. Just open the door. It can happen. We just have to open the door and be willing. So the last of the three items is um, attunement with the guru, of course. Devotion to the guru, connection to the guru. That is everything. And the techniques and the positive thinking are to help us do that. Um, that's what they're about. In and of themselves, they're great. But it's when we can connect with the guru that that's where the power comes. Swami Kriyananda wrote a book called A New Dispensation. Um, it was quite an old, it was a little pamphlet. It wasn't a book, it was a little pamphlet. And he wrote it quite a while ago, and I, I think probably everybody has read it. But in there he said something like, He's noticed that people who come to Ananda, people who tune in to Yogananda, to Master, to our Guru, he said the growth that they experience is out of all proportion to the time that they're meditating. And I would even say, he didn't say this, but I'm going to be bold and say it, I think it's out of proportion to how well they think they're meditating. Making that connection with the Guru is what transforms us. 
And that's why we do the techniques he told us to do them. Because he, because he told them us to do them, that's why we do them. Um, is, is that we get in his wavelength and he is carrying us. So this attunement is, it's inseparable from positive thinking, isn't it? To, to be able to be thinking of the guru, we have to be on his wavelength. It has to be positive. I wanted to just... Uh, close by sharing an experience that um, uh, one of our members had, but it was also shared by me, which is that in the early days of Ananda, most of us were in our 20s who came here, and we had Swamiji to help us, and we also had our head gardener, Hanel, to help us. And Hanel was a great soul. He was, I was thinking about this recently, just to indicate what kind of a soul he was. You didn't hear this much, and probably most of you don't know this, but when he discovered Yogananda's teachings, which was right after Master died, he was in New York City, he got very, very uh, absorbed in the lessons, and he decided he would go to South America to live. He would, which is interesting, it's exactly what Swami said he would do, you know, at, uh, when he was going to, before he found Master. So Hanel decided that he would get everything that he needed to go to South America. I forget what country, but he realized that one thing that could drag him out, because he was just going to go there, live cheap, and meditate and find God. But he realized that if you got, um, if you got um, cavities or dental problems, you'd have to leave and you'd have to come back to the States and have it worked on. So he had his teeth taken out. I think they were maybe, um, I think they were maybe, uh, uh, what do you call, not sandpapered, but, you know, filed down, filed down. Now think about that. <laughs> think about that level of dedication. And, and so he had false teeth that he wore. As it turned out, he ended up getting an infection in his gums, and that's what brought him back to California to our great blessing. And he was one of our great mentors at Ananda. Well, he was profoundly devoted to Master, and I was blessed to take care of him in the last years of his life, and he had become ill with pancreatic cancer, which is supposed to be very, very painful. Well, by the time they discovered, he was feeling not so good, by the time they discovered the cancer, it was the size of a football. So uh, clearly something was going on, and he decided, well, I'm going to just retire to my uh, what did he call it? His, basically, it was his altar. His altar was in his bedroom, his shrine. He called it his shrine. So by the time I went up to see him for the first time, he was lying in bed, uh, sort of on a slant, and I went to hold his hand because this was a shocking piece of information. And I was going to be giving him energy, right? That wasn't what was happening. Master's blessings were flowing from him to me. Just a little wave. And I said, Hanel, can you feel that? And he said, oh, yes. As I lie here, I feel Master's vibrations flowing into me. And that's what he did for the last couple of months of his life. He just stayed in that place of just being blessed by the guru. Um, pancreatic cancer, as I said, is supposed to be painful. So every night, Hanel would ask me to give him either one or two Tylenol so that to help him sleep. 
but he didn't want to interfere with his mind in any way because he wanted to stay connected to the guru. And because of his devotion, he should have become unconscious way early in that process, and he just didn't. He stayed with Master. He left his body consciously. He just walked right out of the room, right into his picture on his altar of Master. We could feel him go. And that was attunement with the Guru is a a force that we cannot even imagine that's changing us in so many ways. So when we look at our lives and we see the various shortcomings that come up, it doesn't matter. Just ask yourself, is this thought taking me upward in positivity? Is this taking me up to the Guru? Is this taking me in alignment with the Guru and his positive thinking? Or not, and if it's not, don't worry about it. Just keep the energy flowing upward. As Master said so many times, I don't mind your faults, I mind your indifference. So all our job is really is do the best we can and keep our energy flowing upward to the Guru. Let's just reflect on this a moment. Whether he replies or not, 
keep calling him even when there's no reply never let your longing dark and seeming silence if in the midst of life disease and death you play the dancer yet keep calling Keep calm.